This is the Ellis Martin Report. Every week, Ellis Martin reports in from somewhere in the world to bring you investment opportunities with leading edge companies. These companies do compensate us to help them bring their stories to you. These companies have compelling stories and they're looking for investors like you. I'm Troy Duran. I hold the fort down stateside while Ellis asks the CEOs and investor relations executives the questions on location that you need to know to make an informed decision. For my part, I'll interview company spokespeople from here in the E-Studios as well. Now let's find Ellis and start today's edition of the Ellis Martin Report. I'm Ellis Martin. Desert Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol DAU and in the U.S. as DAUGF. Join me now for a conversation with President Jared Scharf. Jared, welcome to the program. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. Desert Gold is an African-focused gold exploration company. We have a portfolio of three exploration assets in western Mali and southwestern Mali, the Senegal-Mali Shear Zone, and another property in the Yan Falila Gold Belt. As well, we have a mining license and a gold deposit in central northern Rwanda. Let's talk about Mali first, West Africa, a great jurisdiction. What have you got outlined over there. On uh, the 14th of November, we uh, announced uh, that we finally started drilling at Sagala West, which is our uh, second property to the south along the Senegal Mali Shear Zone. And that was a long time coming. We were obviously delayed by the uh, rainy season. As of yesterday, well, we we're on schedule, first hole almost completed, and uh, we'll continue to move forward and hopefully uh, finish the first phase of diamond drilling You know, within the next uh, three weeks or so. Let's talk about the general location of your property. Sagala West is wedged in between Endeavors, Tabacoto, and Sagala Mine to the east and to the south, as well as their Kofi prospect to the north. To the west, we're bordered by Rand Gold and their um, very large Lulugunkoto mine complex, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of your viewers would be familiar with. What's become more and more interesting about Sagala West, when we began the exercise of looking at an exploration strategy for it earlier this year, we did an extensive amount of pit mapping and sampling because there are quite a few artisanal mining areas on our permit that appear to be on the same trend as Endeavor's Sagala Mine and, and their overall system at Tabacoto. During the last site visit, where we were essentially preparing to receive the drill rig and preparing the drill pads and doing some maintenance on the roads, we discovered a sixth artisanal zone of significance in the northwestern part of the permit, a structure that we're calling the Yatea zone. And we talked about it a little bit in the most recent press release regarding the uh, drill program. And we did some grab sampling and some structural mapping of this artisanal zone. And we received some very encouraging results. The mineralization itself it appears to be quite unique and our geologists were both puzzled and intrigued by this, and which is why we went and took about 60 or so samples. The highest grade we got from those samples were 50 grams. Over 25 of the samples came back over a gram per ton and a lot of 10 gram material and stuff in the high eights and the mid fives. So I would say overall it was very successful but really with the grab sampling, we're just it's just the tip of the iceberg. But it was yet again more justification to follow up with some serious drilling on this property. The footprint of the Sagala mine owned by Endeavor is about a square kilometer. The soil anomaly on our permit is about 24 square kilometers, and it's several kilometers long and about 400 meters wide. And it's within that zone where we have these six 
extensive artisanal operations and they're not just grabbing surface material i mean in some cases there's down 40 meters and they're mining visible vein systems which is where we're taking these samples so these aren't surface minerals this is us looking directly at these exposed vein systems that are being exploited by the artisanal miners who are excellent exploration tools we also have some historical drill data from our predecessor axemen who encountered some very interesting intersects in this area you know five and a half grams over five meters two grams over four meters eight grams over two meters so there's a lot of reason to justify following up and what's exciting about this particular program is is it's really a first pass for the most part uh, well for sure by us but for the most part to drill a targeted area that probably should have been explored a long time ago it's so prospective in the and it's in such an excellent area being less than a couple of kilometers from Sagala for desert gold we just really didn't have the capital for several years to explore it so to be in the position where we're finally actually drilling and recovering core and knowing that we'll be getting assays coming out here in the next little while it's just a really exciting time for us. What can we see during the next six months to a year, Jared? Well, with Sagala West, we'll complete the first phase of diamond drilling here within the next couple of weeks, and then we'll have to assay the results and interpret them. But we'll be following up immediately thereafter with a fairly robust air core and RC program. And that'll just essentially allow us to do even more exploration because there's a granitic type target in the northwestern part of the permit that looks very, very interesting. What our geologists are referring to is sort of a rocks gold type target. So this is a very economic way of doing some really good exploration. So I would say at Sagala West, you know, we should be done with results to interpret by the end of this year or early in the new year. And from that point, we'll be marching straight up north to our other property, Farabanturu, where we'll be conducting a similar exercise. In the case of that permit, we have a lot more information. Our predecessor, Hyundai Motor Company, did a vast amount of drilling in the area, all of which we have, which we were able to incorporate into our database over some drilling that we did ourselves in uh, 2011, 2012. So we have a lot more information about that property. That property isn't actually just off of the shear zone, it's directly on the shear zone. And there's a lot of very interesting prospects and targets to go there. We're seeing some really good width, some really good grade, and we're also extremely excited to drill that property as well. And that'll happen probably in early January, as soon as we're done at Sagala West. From a, a larger perspective, what we're hoping and what I'm trying to accomplish is if you look at where we are now, sitting with a six or seven million dollar market cap, and we have neighbors with multi-billion dollar market caps, I'm not going to say that we're undervalued because I, I think the market gives you your value and you have to accept that. But what I do think is that with a relatively small amount of work, the profile of this company could change dramatically here in the near future. Well, Jared, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and I thank you so much for joining us today in the program. We look forward to further updates in the very near future. Thanks for having me, Ellis. I appreciate it. I've been speaking with Jared Scharf, the president of Desert Gold, trading as DAU on the TSX Venture Exchange and as DAUGF in the U.S. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Everything you hear on the Ellis Martin Report, you can find on our website, ellismartinreport.com. In addition to the company interviews, you'll find their contact info and websites, stock charts of the most actively traded companies, and investor news stories. Bookmark the EllisMartinReport.com and stay on top of the trends that matter most to investors. 
As investors, we're always on the lookout for uh, companies that make products that address acute issues in need of solutions or even nagging problems that stand in the way of industry players delivering their goods and services to the final end users or consumers. So I think when you meet our next guest, you're going to agree that this is one of these products. Daryl Rebeck is the president of the biotech company called Lexagene. Now, they're trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LXG. Over the counter, it's LXXGF. Daryl, great to talk to you today. Ah, great to see you. So for the uninitiated, how about a quick overview of Lexagene? We're, we're essentially a public biotech company that's anticipating to be the first to provide instrumentation to detect any pathogen of interest. And we're going to do so with a very simple, low cost, but a very accurate method as well. So we will reduce the time from one to three days in current environments in some of these processes down to mere hours. It's a pretty exciting story. If you want to see more on Lexagene, uh, their website, really easy to remember, lexagene.com, and that is L E X. A-G-E-N-E. Now, the first time you were on the Ellis Martin Report, which was back in July, you were trading around 50 cents, right? Yes, that's correct. And as of this recording, we're at about $1.50, right? So what's the uh, what's the story behind that increase? So since the last time we spoke, a lot has changed. And, and the biggest thing that has changed is exposure on the company. And it is a technology that absolutely positively changes the industries we're going after. And those industries are food safety, vet diagnostics, water quality monitoring, aquaculture, et cetera, and ultimately in the clinics. And what we've done since June is we launched this product uh, device at a show in Tampa. We had one of the busiest booths there because it's, again, an industry that is ripe with consolidation, which is very exciting for investors. But it's also an industry that needs to innovate at all times. So in the last you know four or five months since then, We've been to six trade shows. We've been on the road constantly. Uh, Jack and I are both in about the 90,000 mile range right now, which is something not to be proud of. And I always thought people in the airports with <laughs> super late were, you know, I felt bad for their family and I also felt bad for, for them. But, you know, it's what it takes. And, and what it takes as a public company is to have eyes on the story, for lack of a better term. It's a story that resonates with people and one that they can really, really get behind and understand the magnitude of what we're doing. Once the machine is done, it's going to be very, very impressive how much we get picked up by various publications. But even so, we got invited to a Fox News show. It's called Innovations TV with Egg Bagley Jr. I'd urge you to go to the website and see it. It's very well done. It's a good summary of what we do. Uh, We've also been picked up by Food Safety Magazine. You'll see that shortly. Uh, Vet World, The Street, uh, Insider Financial, Inc., etc. So, you know, we're very very uh, proactive on looking at those sources. We look at sources that come out in in local news as well, um, and we try to get our opinions in there because it is important um, for these industries to know that what's out there. So it, it's been very exciting and rewarding for us where everywhere we go, we seem to be in demand because it's some new technology that is really needed. And when people really pick it apart, and it's been picked apart a lot, they end up investing and they end up really loving the story. And that's a huge accolade and, and one we're very proud of. Yeah. Well, full disclosure, as I was doing my research on you, I um, looked through your website. The story made sense to me. So now I'm an investor. Perfect. That's that's what we like to hear. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a game changer. And speaking of which, of course, you know, you mentioned your founder, Dr. Jack Regan, before. And I thought that was a pretty interesting story on the impetus behind the original invention. So the first place, the origin of this device was as a bio threat detection tool. And it was used by the Department of Homeland Security to look for anthrax. 
And if you remember after 9-11, there was anthrax scares all around the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, that put this into motion very heavily, and it was very highly sanctioned and funded by the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, it was at the Olympics. It was at Grand Central Station, and it worked autonomously processing huge amounts of air uh, every 17 to 35 minutes, uh, which is very, very important. And, and since then, it was in the UC Medical Davis Center looking for a flu pandemic and a flu uh, outbreak. So it, what really happened, though, is, is in that third generation, and Jack is the lead inventor on this, there was a strong demand for him to commercialize that instrument. But we've gone ahead and now done the fourth generation, which is addressing every single issue for so many industries. And it's something that has people very, very excited. So from that third generation to the fourth generation, what have your travels told you about the best available market now and in the future for Lexagene? So in those markets, one of the things that we, we decided very early on in the company is the clinical market is the ultimate goal for this product. And we all understand that. And it's a market that really, really resonates with people. That said, you have FDA holdups and you have a lot of a different process that as a small company, it becomes tougher and tougher to do. Uh, so one of the things that we realized really quick is things like food safety, vet diagnostics, water quality testing, aquaculture. These are industries that are desperate for change. They are changing by the day. People are demanding safer food. They're demanding better care for their pets. They're demanding better care for themselves. And one of the things that we learned is this food safety, vet market, etc., are all markets that are underserved. They're looking at at times three to five days time delays. They're looking at very large costs. They're looking at a process that doesn't really work for them. And our machine being a low cost, very easy to use. Anyone can use it. You and I can collect a sample, essentially, if you want to say from a lettuce bath, input it in the machine, hit a button, and an hour later get the results. That is a really huge difference to the, the current methods that are being used in those industries. So we feel that we can get some really good, strong um, revenues out of these industries first and foremost. We can do the clinical applications in the background so that it's not taking all our time. Uh, and we also know, and from my experience in the business of doing this for 20 years, the FDA does scare people on public companies. They know it's do or die. It, it's a process that you're sort of two weeks away from approval and three years later, you're still talking about it. So these are industries not to take anything lightly that are very, very ripe for for adoption. It's something that they have zero um uh, new technology and addressing these issues right now, a lot of companies are trying, but you know what we offer is this very simple sample to answer instrument that takes an hour that can be operated by anybody and it's fully adaptable so that you can look for new things as soon as they come upon. Daryl, when you mentioned food safety, it brought to mind that uh, cautionary tale of Chipotle. I wonder if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. And, and one of the things that I, I really like about the story and don't like about the story is They've been punished, obviously, to the tune of about six to seven billion on their market cap based on food safety scares. So you had some tainted tomatoes, you had some other tainted produce at multiple locations. So you knew that was at source. And one of the things we use Chipotle for one reason, it's because it's a public company and you can see the destruction out there right now. And what you have right now is 24-7 news. You have social media and things that really enforce the fact that if anything goes wrong in your company like food safety, when people are demanding safer food, better food, etc., you get absolutely punished to the, the largest degree you can ever imagine. In the past, you could try to bury it a little bit. It would show up in the papers, etc., but you can't get away from it anymore. And the one thing I'll say about Chipotle, and I think this is a trend in the world right now, is we all want better food. We all want organic. We all want it to be healthier for us. 
And Chipotle was doing that. They were sourcing locally. They were sourcing within 100 miles. They were doing everything properly. And unfortunately with that, pathogens have more of a chance to grow because you're not using chemicals to kill those pathogens. And now you have a company like Chipotle, which I wouldn't be surprised if they're using a company that uses chlorine in their lettuce bath because it kills those pathogens. So really, I think it's interesting where we want better food, we want higher quality, we want it to be better for us, there's going to be more pathogens. The food safety market is growing at a massive rate per year. Recalls haven't gone down in 20 years, and I think it's just going to continue because we all want better food. So unfortunately, it's a good example for what happens, but a bad example for what could happen to huge companies that were trying to do it properly. That's a really tough spot. High demands for uh, varied sourcing for the food high demands for the safety of the product, high mm-hmm. consequences for failure in delivering both on a really tight timescale. And your uh, device really uh, solves that problem and not much of a learning curve for employees to use, right? No, and I, I would argue that it is so simple. It is push button. Everything is done in the machine. I mean, essentially, you collect the sample and input it into the machine. You know, maybe you train someone for half a day to a day just to really go through the system. But the, the adoption of this is really not that complicated. And that's very important for, let's look at the vet market, for example. If you want to have this in all the vet hospitals in the U.S., they're not going to hire licensed technicians in each clinic. So you can have someone in-house processing their own sample. Massive time savings, obviously a revenue boost, because I'm sure you can charge more, which we can all understand for better, faster service and something that really makes sense on a very, very basic level. So regarding the equipment, how proprietary is your technology? What's the barrier to entry for potential competitors? It's very, very, very unlikely that someone could replicate what we have within a few years. And and we are protected by IP. We do have patents on the machine. We have patents on the filter, which is very important because our filter is very unique. And it's something that doesn't happen very often in this industry because it is hard to do and it is usually rep with failure from some of the larger companies. So really larger companies look to acquire smaller companies and the technology is very, very well protected. Good. Easy enough to find out more about Lexagene. Visit their website, L-E-X-A-G-E-N-E dot com. You can uh, find out more at the ellismartinreport.com. They trade on the TSX, symbol LXG. Over the counter, it's LXXGF. We're talking to Daryl Rebeck, the uh, president of Lexagene. And uh, Daryl, you sounded really excited about the month of November. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it's a very exciting month. Uh, I mean, we've had a lot of public validations on the project. We have some private ones that we're working to make public right now, which we can't for various reasons. But November becomes a time when this alpha prototype is done. And it becomes the time when we can say the machine does XYZ versus we anticipate it to do XYZ. It's a huge moment in the company. It's something that becomes a real tangible product. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can watch it work. You can see the advancements and you can see the actuality of this taking a sample and processing an hour. And in this industry, that is a huge deal for a company because it's not just a concept anymore. It's a reality. Further to that and post that, what you do is you go into what you call beta testing. You now build these units out. You lend them to people like, say, a vet clinic, a processing food plant, uh, a water safety plant, etc. And you let them use it for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, depending on who the person is uh, and what the potential is. As they get comfortable using it, you then yank it from them because it is only the beta testing. You also collect data. You understand and and take um, commentary on what they like or don't like, and you can make some potential changes. But the reality there is you're seeding your pre-sales, you're seeding your sales, you're getting those channels going. 
and you're showing people for free how this works and how it changes their lives. And that's huge. By the end of next year, you're in commercialization, you start selling the units. Again, another huge moment for the company. This is probably the biggest moment because in this industry, in every industry, we can all talk about what the potential is. And until it's there, it's always just potential. And right now you have this occurrence that's happening within weeks and days, really, where, listen, it works. Here it is. Come see it. Watch it work. Very, very, very huge moment for the company. Yeah, after all your hard work, it's probably nice to see that you're uh, that you're actually moving on to a hard uh, piece of machinery that you can hold in your hands and show people. You've got investors excited. You're starting to get media coverage. Now comes the beta testing, and then you're on to uh, manufacturing. So what happens after the manufacturing? The likelihood of how this usually works here is you have the majors who need to grow by acquisition. They don't do any R&D to a large amount anymore. You usually see about a quarter or two of sales and a major starts to step in and look at doing acquisitions. Uh, and that's very important in this sector. And Jack's company he left Livermore Labs for, which is where this was founded, uh, was bought you know, a mere 18 months later for $162 million U.S., um, and it was bought uh, with 17 sales in the first quarter. So, I mean, the ultimate goal is to be acquired by a larger company, to grow with them, to use their sales team across the world, uh, to use their manufacturing team, etc. And that is the main goal. Pretty quick time horizon from our perspective, but you've been at this for a while. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a long time coming. I mean, this has been, you know, near 20 years for Jack. It's been, you know, two, yeah. three years for us. We raised money privately. We, we grew this product along the way. And it's definitely something that it has been longer than it seems. But the reality of the channel, once the machine is done, which is the most important part, is really not too long from then. Because, again, technology changes all the time. Uh, this is something that addresses a need. Digital PCR right now, or PCR in, in general, um, is the industry standard right now. If you look at Biorad, Jack's last company he left, which is now a $7 billion company, uh, their earnings are up, you know, almost 20% in the last quarter. They were up 20% on Friday. This is due to PCR sales and food safety, actually. So these are very important parts for us being a company that's coming up and being so disruptive. Uh, you look at a company that large to be up 20% in one day, you know, you can really paint a picture of this industry absolutely needs this. These industries that we're going after, these markets absolutely need us. Uh, it's perfect timing for us. So you want to get it done properly, but you want to be quick. Uh, and it is so disruptive. We really just want to get this in the hands of people where it really changes lives. And, you know, again, I use the vet model a lot. There's a three to five day delay to find out what's wrong with your pet. And we have a good friend of ours whose dog passed in that three to five days because it was underprescribed. Uh, a lot of overprescribing happens or the wrong therapy period. And for us, we can offer something in an hour where, you know, here's exactly what your dog needs, exactly what it has, your cat. And at, after that point, um, you prescribe exactly what it needs because you can look for antibody resistance genes. And you have something where it absolutely changes that vet's practice, where you have a service that no one else has. And it's absolutely 98% more efficient and more accurate. That's a really good point. You're talking about an exciting uh, uh, investment opportunity, but at the same time, at the end of the day, you're talking about equipment that will change the lives of end users and their customers, and also the small business person who will find themselves on a leveled playing field. No question. Okay, enough about that. Let's put on our investor's hat and uh, take a look under the hood and ask you about your financials. Yeah, so we've done a good job. I mean, I was an investment advisor and senior VP for Canaccord for 15 years. And 
what was interesting is what I learned from that side of the equation, much like an investor, is, is you only can know so much about a company. So what makes a company work? And you really get to the point and, and the realization that share structure is everything. Obviously, the product has to be or that property has to be strong. Uh, but the shares outstanding really dictate the management is very important as well. But, you know, these are all things that are super important and you learn on our side. Uh, and then you move to the company side, which I did for many years and had many successes in the mining world. And you learn that you take what you need, you protect your structure and you let that person build out that company um, as much as you can with giving you the patience to do so. And you can't do that in any way. So we went public with a two million dollar raise. Uh, we had a $2.25 million raise uh, that we did after that. And, you know, the reality of that was we had orders for about $10 million on the second time. We only took two. That's all we needed. So we still have about a million and a half in the bank. Uh, we have a lot of warrants that are in the money. But, you know, we're looking at potentially doing a top-up raise. Uh, and for the sole purpose of the fact that we want to make sure that Jack and I don't make any decisions based on not having enough money or, or not enough structure to do so. And so we're looking at potentially doing a raise here, but we don't need to. Uh, we do have enough money to last us into you know mid next year, but we really want to aggressively grow this company. So it is a consideration we're discussing. Uh, we're also discussing a potential NASDAQ uplisting because, again, this is a, a U.S. story. It's being built in the U.S. It's come out of the U.S. It's got U.S. board members. It's got a U.S. CEO. Uh, I am the only Canadian involved, and, and really this is, is a huge U.S. story, and one of the things that will open it up to the world even more is a full NASDAQ listing. Um, exactly. so, so again, these are all things that we're talking about, but as for financings and as for cash right now, everything looks perfect. Um, our burn really goes down at the end of this month because Boston Engineering, the engineering firm that's building the product, uh, is done at the end of November. That's our biggest cost right now. Uh, we're a very low salary, very low cost company. We're very tight with our capital uh, and we only take what we need. So we're definitely sitting nicely right now. All right. Well, in the timing is everything department, fantastic time to take a look at Lexagene. They're on the TSX at LXG, over the counter LXXGF. Find their story at lexagene.com. Of course, you can find info on all of our investor companies at ellismartinreport.com. Uh, Daryl Rebeck, president of Lexagene. Fantastic to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you for your time. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Patrick Highsmith, the CEO of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol PE.B and in the U.S. as PEMIF. Pure Energy Minerals is an emerging leader in the development of innovative, resource-efficient mineral exploration and project development, notably with lithium. The company is focused on its 9,500-acre flagship lithium brine project located in Clayton Valley, Nevada. Lithium is used in a wide assortment of mobile devices, hybrid electric vehicles, and power storage. Pure Energy Minerals announced that the company had entered into an agreement with Tesla Motors for the potential supply of lithium hydroxide that they intend on producing from Clayton Valley not far from the Tesla Gigafactory. Patrick, welcome back to the program. Good morning, Alice. It's good to be back. There's quite a bit going on with Pure Energy Minerals. Let's begin with a quick overview of the company and then tell us about your recent acquisition to your project in Clayton Valley, Nevada. 
the company certainly continues to grow. We focus on our two projects now and exciting times for both of them. The Clayton Valley Lithium Brine Project in Nevada is the more advanced of the two, and we've been generating some news there, including that which we put out this week and we'll speak about in a moment. And of course, our Terracotta Lithium Brine Project in the Salta province of Argentina is starting to get a little more buzz because we'll be drilling there very soon. Building on the two projects, the one more advanced and the one in Argentina, a little earlier stage, but has that latent excitement of the first exploration drill holes coming up soon. Patrick, it still seems as if somehow that it's early days with the excitement in the sector. It's as if the investing public or even the general public is looking at lithium for the very first time. And yet I would say that it certainly isn't an overnight sensation. It's years in the making. You know, Alice, I've been working in lithium since 2009 for a number of years. I'm sort of one of the gray hairs in the business. And yet we've had to progress through the that early boom and a bit of a bubble, really, because things sort of slowed down. We were certainly early in our work at Lithium One. But, you know, it, it feels like it's getting a little more traction now, maybe judged by the mainstream news flow on the lithium sector. But I still feel like we're in the beginning. Maybe it's the middle of the beginning, if you will. I just saw a graphic this week from S&P Global Market Intelligence that indicates where we are, perhaps, in this lithium business. Business. It tracks lithium exploration budgets against the number of companies and the lithium carbonate average price, Ellis. And it's interesting. I would say that the number of companies is tracking better with lithium price than the budgets are. It's sort of a, a disconnect there. However, there's no doubt that in 2017, we're going to see more spin on lithium exploration probably than we've seen in history. And the number of companies has surged, according to these numbers, to more than 130, almost almost 140 companies. So maybe it's not always a good thing, Alice, when our sector starts uh, proliferating all these companies, but it certainly spreads us into the mainstream as the news flow gets out there, and we see mainstream media asking questions and doing stories, and we see mainstream companies, like we just heard Rio Tinto this week, looking at acquiring a stake in the giant lithium producer SQM. So it is crossing over, and maybe that's why you and I, who've been looking at it for a while, are sort of trying to grapple is this thing at the beginning or the middle or near peak and I really get the feeling that the discoveries need to come now that the budgets are growing and there's plenty of us out there exploring and as the discoveries come we then need to demonstrate some of these things can actually make money like we're trying to do at Pure Energy with getting a pilot plant built next year. As you develop your projects you can't really stop and not look at acquiring more ground if you're going to remain a competitive exploration and development company. You've done that. Let's talk about what you're doing in Nevada. Yes, we're very excited. The Clayton Valley project continues to grow. And this week we announced a modest size acquisition, but it's a great piece of property, about 1,450 acres we acquired from Advantage Lithium and Nevada Sunrise. They had an option agreement on these claims. And they adjoin our properties, but they also adjoin our neighbor, Albemarle's Silver Peak Mine. And the Advantage guys had done some good work there and had drilled several holes over a few kilometer strike length there down to as deep as 600 meters or so. And in those holes, they had intersected some quite nice grade lithium, averaging about 204 milligrams per liter, well above the average grade of our resource. So we expect this to be a nice accretive addition. But some of the samples they collected, Ellis, were over 300 milligrams per liter, which is quite high grade for Clayton Valley. So 
they're working this eastern side of the basin, the eastern structure there that we see that tends to be high-grade lithium on our property as well to the south. What we're most excited about is that trend continues right up to the north in all that ground that we acquired from Lithium X earlier this year. So now we have a a grand total of over 26,000 acres in this basin surrounding the Albemarle Silver Peak Lithium Mine on the north, south, and the east now. So great to be cozied up to the only existing lithium producer in North America and great to have acquired a a nice property from our friends at Advantage Lithium with some high grades of lithium that allow us to uh, generate even more exploration targets and growth potential on the project. What were the terms of this acquisition? Well, our last two acquisitions in Clayton Valley have been with really exploration partners, groups like Lithium X and Advantage Lithium, who want to be a stakeholder still in the success of their properties. So we've been able to close the Advantage transaction entirely based on shares. So we issued a total of 7 million shares, 4.9 million to Advantage and 2.1 million to Nevada Sunrise to acquire 100% of these claims. There's a 3% royalty that goes to a previous landowner of the claim. But this is just the kind of deal that we like because Advantage and Nevada Sunrise have agreed to lock up those shares for more than 18 months. They'll roll out on a quarterly basis. The shares will become free trading sort of 25% at a time after that. But that shows that they're really vested in the future success of the project by locking up those shares and even agreeing to vote with Pure Energy Management for two years. So we really have some new allies as shareholders, and we've consolidated this huge land position, which really helps everybody for the prospects of future growth on the project out there in Nevada. What can we look forward to during the next six months with Pure Energy Minerals? Well, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, and we continue to report on the progress in various areas. We've now gobbled up just about all of Clayton Valleys. There really aren't a lot of other claims out there with demonstrated lithium on them that we see. So when you look at a map of Clayton Valley, most of that prospective ground is either us or Albemarle. So it's sort of the two of us there. Now, in Argentina, though, you will, as we've announced, see news upcoming. As we have said, the drill rigs will be rolling up pretty soon. And, of course, in the winter, we'll probably kick off drilling in Clayton Valley again, as we've also press released. So our vision of the next six months to a year, really, Ellis, is slow and steady drilling in Clayton Valley, and we hope to be generating both exploration and infill drilling results in and around our existing resource and growing it. And then in Argentina, of course, those are the first holes there. So that'll certainly be newsworthy as we do that exploration. And again, continual drilling progress on those projects. While in the background, we work through the engineering of this pilot plan in Clayton Valley, and of course the permitting and hoping to see construction in the second half of next year on that new technology facility. So I think there's plenty of news and and hopefully we'll continue to surprise with good news. Patrick, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Ellis. Good to catch up while we're uh, we're both back on the ground here in North America, but uh, I'll be talking to you again from the road soon, I'm sure. I've been visiting with Patrick Highsmith of Pure Energy Minerals. Pure Energy Minerals trades as PEMIF in the U.S. and as PE on the TSX Venture Exchange. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm a shareholder of Pure Energy Minerals. This has been the Ellis Martin Report. Join us every week for a new set of interviews with the people building stock value in some of the most exciting companies you may not have heard of. Yet, like us on Facebook right now to get the scoop on the newest interviews and late-breaking investment news on these exciting companies and more. Go to Facebook.com slash Ellis Martin. And don't forget, 
ellismartin.com for all the interviews, all the stock prices, and all the company info that matters. For the Ellis Martin Report, I'm Troy Duran. Happy hunting. <laughs>